Welcome to Ohio Roots, the official podcast of the Ohio Genealogical Society. Join us as we embark on a captivating journey through Ohio's rich genealogy, history, and abundant resources. Hosted by me, OGS Executive Director Noel Poirier, this podcast brings you insightful conversations with a diverse array of guests, from OGS members, chapter leaders, and staff, to renowned genealogists, historians, and influential figures within the genealogical community. Each episode delves into fascinating topics and captivating stories. So grab your headphones, hit that play button, and join us on this enthralling journey of Ohio's roots. Our guest on this episode of the Ohio Roots podcast is Austin Reed. Austin's a native of Lancaster, Ohio, who has been exploring the stories of Ohio's smaller and vanished Jewish communities since 2017. His research has been featured in several media outlets, including the Canton Repository, the Columbus Jewish News, Richland Source, Steubenville Herald Star, Zanesville Times Recorder, and WOSU. We're really looking forward to our conversation with Austin today. I think it's a really interesting subject, and I think you'll enjoy it. Well, uh, thank you, Austin, for joining us today on the Ohio Roots Podcast. I really appreciate you being willing to take some time out and speak with us today. Thank you, Noel. It's my pleasure to be here. One of the things I do like to ask folks uh, who, we've, who we've talked to in the past is most genealogists are kind of like comic book heroes where they have kind of an origin story uh, that got them started in doing genealogy. And I'm curious what yours is, given, given how unique the area you research is. Thank you for the question. I grew up in Lancaster, Ohio, and okay. when I was growing up, the town's congregation B'nai Israel had already closed, okay. but you could still visit downtown and see the former building, which had been converted into a private home. And mm-hmm. there was a war memorial downtown as well with a star okay. of David on it. Oh, wow. Okay. And I remember when I was growing up wondering what caused the congregation there to close and who on the memorial, there was a Christian cross and a star of David and who mm-hmm. were those service people represented under um, the Star of David on the memorial. Mm-hmm. And when I was a student at Capital University, I had an opportunity at the end of my, towards the end of my time in college to take on a capstone project to fulfill my history major. Okay. And seeing that there wasn't really anything written about the Jewish community that once existed in Fairfield County, I decided to write about that topic for the capstone. And while right. doing that, I realized there were many other smaller Jewish communities across the state that hadn't really been documented by anyone okay. formally. And that's what started the project from there. Okay. That, that, it's interesting because, you know, when you mentioned that, because I live in New Philadelphia, Ohio, uh, here in, in Tuscaroras County, and really right down the street from me is a house that was uh, free, was originally built as a doctor's home. Um, but then in the early 19th or late 19th and early 20th centuries, the building was used as a synagogue by the local Jewish community here in New Philadelphia. And, and I wonder how how common how common were those groups, those small groups of Jewish residents in Ohio in these small towns? Where, where were you going to see these? Were, were they were were they settling everywhere? Yeah, thank you. And it's interesting, Noel, to hear about your connection to New Philadelphia. That is one of the communities I've looked into a little mm-hmm. bit. And the Jewish experience in small towns and rural areas in the Midwest, I would say, was more common than in other areas of the United States. I think something that Ohio had um, more of than many other states was this rock bed at one time of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And that created 
the economic draw for many groups of individuals, including uh, Jewish immigrants, to come to places like New Philadelphia and Mansfield, Steubenville, and these smaller areas, um, smaller cities and towns across the state. Um, So I would say probably between 1925 and 1965 was really the peak of when many small towns in Ohio had Jewish communities. And we're, we're and, and and the Jewish community isn't homogeneous, obviously. But we're, we're where we're where geographically were many of the Jewish uh, immigrants coming from? So there were two primary waves of immigration that created not only the small town Jewish communities, but mm-hmm. also the much of the larger Jewish communities in the okay. state of Ohio. The first was around um, 1830 to about 1870. There were many immigrants coming from. Uh, modern-day Germany and surrounding countries in Europe, and included in that group um, were Jews. So the original residents of many of these towns were German-speaking um, Jewish immigrants. Okay. And towards the end of the 1800s, say about after 1880 to 1924, you had a very large wave of immigration from uh, the former Russian Empire, um, Jews at the time in the Russian Empire were experiencing especially intense persecutions and also a lack of economic opportunities that drove about 2 million in total to come to the United States during that period. And many of them found their way to Ohio uh, eventually. And today I would say most of the Jewish community of Ohio descends from that wave of Eastern European immigration. Um, did, did, did the Jewish Ohio, the Ohio Jewish community continue to migrate west or did did many of them stay here in ohio that's a good question um something that i have noticed in some of the smaller jewish communities of ohio is really once manufacturing began to decline in many parts of the state Mm -hmm. the population in general of places such as steubenville zanesville also began to decline and the jewish community mirrors that larger turnaround and I think what's interesting about the Jewish communities in many of these places, it wasn't more than 3% of the population. It was always right. very small. So you didn't have to lose too many families to out-migration before right. things like the synagogue became um, too much to maintain. Yeah. But now we're seeing larger groups um, struggle with the same sorts of issues um, that Jewish communities were um, trying to reconcile uh, years ago at this point. And from what I understand, you know, you're looking at really the whole state of Ohio as, as you examine these, you know, these these immigrants. Um, what what are the resources really that are available to you? I mean, it seems like I know sometimes it's very hard to find, you know, non you know overrepresented groups um, as opposed to underrepresented groups. So I'm curious, what what are all the resources that you have at, at your disposal? Yeah, thank you. I would say. Uh, the most important source of information for me has been digitized newspaper archives. Okay. And there's okay. some really great resources in Ohio for that. Ohio memory is one source. There are many newspapers from both small areas and large cities on there. And the Jewish press mm-hmm. has um, some really great resources as well. Okay. The National Library of Israel, for example, has begun a project to digitize oh, a lot wow. of historic Jewish newspapers from all over the world, including many in the United States. And sometimes I get my first leads from those types of newspapers, because even though they were published in places like Cleveland or Cincinnati, 
they reference small town families and communities and you can get hints. And once you know a few families, it's easier to track, okay, Okay. who's related to who and you start to build out a bigger picture. That that kind of, you kind of answered my question there because I was, my next question was going to be how many of these Jewish newspapers were located in Ohio um, that you can use as a resource? Yeah. Cleveland, Ohio is one place where their Jewish newspapers going back all the way to the late 1800s have been digitized um, through a, project I believe the Jewish Federation of Cleveland helped to fund and that Cleveland has for a very long time had by far the largest Jewish community in Ohio mm-hmm. and that's the richest source I would say of information. Columbus, Ohio has a Jewish ma- newspaper that goes back to say about 1917. Okay. And that's also online and then finally in Cincinnati you have the American Israelite which is the oldest English language Jewish newspaper in the country. And that goes back to about the 1850s that you can find it digitized. And you, and you mentioned, I mean, I imagine because those newspapers were kind of far afield and I would imagine members, Jewish members of a community, say like in New Philadelphia are probably going to read those newspapers. So it certainly makes sense to me what you were saying, which is that you're going to find references to um, Jewish families in New Philadelphia or in Steubenville or Mansfield in those newspapers, because that's the newspapers everybody looks at. Would that make sense? That's exactly right, Noel. It, especially before our age of Facebook and right. all these ways of keeping in touch, it was really those social columns of the newspapers that even folks far away from Cleveland would read just to stay in touch with right. what's happening with their extended relatives, what's happening in um, different parts of the community. And, and so it's while they're published in the cities, they have a reach beyond the cities. Right. It sounds, it sounds very similar to the Amish newspaper, the budget, um, which published here in Tuscarawas County, but is read all across the world. Um, you know, and so I guess, again, because these families are so interconnected, um, when Jewish immigration started to Ohio, how was that? How was, what was the response of natives here then? It's very interesting. It is not uncommon when you're reading newspaper sources from the early to mid 1800s to find anti-Jewish references. And you would even, many times these would be directed at, um, say, families that weren't part of the area. Okay, sure. Occasionally you would find something that was definitely a reference to a very local person. But you also found references early on to, as individuals, Jews sometimes could gain relatively quickly a wide acceptance in the community. And there was this interesting dynamic for a while where collectively Jews and Judaism were viewed with some suspicion. And as an individual, there might be time for community acceptance. And you would sometimes find these obituaries where the newspapers are just gushing about how great of a citizen this person was. Um, But even some of those sources, you sometimes see phrasing like, well, despite being a Hebrew, they had a wide circle right. of friends or right, something like right. that. But that sort of language really starts to vanish after 1930 and particularly after World War II. Um, I think there was a, across the country, great reduction in anti-Jewish sentiment. Sure. Um, and you you saw a pretty high level of integration of the Jewish community with the larger community, right. certainly, um, I would say by World War II or after. 
were the were were Jewish immigrants? I, I keep kind of going back to those initial immigrants. Were were they coming? Uh, with were they were they farmers? Were they tradespeople? Were were, did, were they all of those things? I mean, did they have a particular industry they were gravitating towards, or was there a particular industry that they were funneled into? Thank you for that question. You can find references to almost every occupation okay. across these communities, but there were two business areas I would say that were particularly um, Jews had a particularly high prominence and the okay. first was clothing okay. manufacturing and retail and this was an area of the economy that was really growing in the united states by the mid-1800s a lot of the technology to mass-produce clothing was becoming more available in more communities and at the same time you had this group of immigrants um, from central europe many of them had traditions in their families of operating small scale craft stores or mm -hmm. um, small businesses. And mm -hmm. they were able to carry some of those skills um, to their new communities in Ohio. Often the German Jewish immigrants would begin by peddling goods around smaller communities before they had enough money to buy mm -hmm. a storefront. Okay. But that role of a peddler filled a really important economic niche in America at the time because you didn't have the supply lines to get goods very easily to small communities. So right. the peddler was a very welcome site usually to bring right. these goods that were hard to find. And that presence of Jewish families in clothing retail really continued till the late 20th century. It was common okay. in many small towns to find Jewish owned department stores downtown. Right. And the other notable area was the scrap business. Okay. This was something that was really coming into development in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And it wasn't, it was a job that a lot of people weren't rushing to do. It was mm -hmm. really hard work, um, but it didn't require a lot of capital initially to start a scrap business. And people who worked in that could make their own work schedule. So if you were an Orthodox Jew who needed time off for the holidays or Shabbat, Friday night through Saturday night, having your own company would be more accessible than, say, working at a larger factory where you couldn't get the time off that you needed. The Ohio Roots Podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Genealogical Society, the premier gateway for discovering your Ohio family history. To learn more about joining, visit www.ogs.org. And by 1930, Forbes magazine estimated 90% of the scrapyards in the U.S. were owned um, by Jews. Hmm. It, it's fascinating. I, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, when, when you do a lot of research, generic research, and, and as a historian, that's I kind of do more general research as opposed to genealogy research. Um, is there a way for me as, as a researcher, if I'm looking through a, a, a historical record, whether it's a census record or a newspaper article about a particular individual, if it doesn't expressly say they were Jewish, are there things that that you look for as a researcher to tell you that they might have been a member of the Jewish community? Thank you for that question. I do tend to be very conservative when assigning Jewish okay. identity to right. someone. It's definitely not advisable, in my opinion, to try to ethnicate sure. the names because I've come across examples where someone could be Catholic and German right. Right. and they have what we might think of as a common Jewish last name, but they're not Jewish at all. Mm -hmm. So I really look for burial records, if okay. someone buried in a Jewish cemetery, okay. marriage records, 
was there a rabbi present at the marriage? Um, I tried to find once a community was large enough, there was very often a coffee club or a charitable society, something very early on that brought Jewish families together. And once you can find a group like that, you can track their members and and it becomes easier to see a network through those groups. But it's, it's a good question, uh, particularly in the early 1800s. It's very difficult sometimes to know mm-hmm. with certainty if someone's Jewish, particularly because in many of these small towns, there weren't Jewish cemeteries. So people would be buried in right. Cleveland and folks who live there may not. You can't just go to the cemetery and right. see a, a Jewish grave in some of these communities. You, mm-hmm. you, would, um, you would find that maybe they lived in Chillicothe, but they're buried in Cincinnati. In the Interesting. Huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm, you know, as, as you're doing research, um, do you come across, uh, if you don't mind sharing, um, you know, a, a, like personal stories of your own family's uh, experiences here in Iowa? Yeah, I am a bit of an, my connection in Jewish community is a little bit more interesting. Um, I converted seven years ago. So my family okay. is uh, Christian okay. and I, but I think the experience of growing up in a smaller town where many people assumed, oh, there isn't a Jewish presence mm-hmm. at all and never has right. been, was one of the things that got me interested in this particular okay. area of the history because Jewish Ohio history and Jewish American history isn't just the story of large cities. Right. Um, there were farming communities of Jews in places like Ashtabula County. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had... Um, Jewish communities in smaller towns like Alliance and Chillicothe as well. So um, these stories risk being forgotten as Jewish institutions in these places. Some of them have been closed for a very long time and people just assume it's never existed there, but it, um, it has existed. And there's really interesting stories sometimes to uncover. Are, are, are the, when you, when you mention things like marriage records and, and, and things like that, are there, have, have records of synagogues in Ohio been digitized and accessible? And, and are those records there? And if so, where are they? Yeah, there's a couple really good resources for anyone who's interested. Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati has the American okay. Jewish Archives. They collect records from all over the country, and many of them focus on reform Jewish congregations okay. that were affiliated with the college. The Columbus Jewish Historical Society in Columbus has been a really enthusiastic supporter of the research I've been doing for several years now, and they have made available on their website, digitized copies of many of the histories I've done. And then finally in Cleveland, you have the case, oh, sorry, the Western Reserve Historical Society, and they also have a section that's devoted to Jewish communities. And that documents not just Cleveland communities, but communities in other areas of Northwestern Mm -hmm. Ohio. So I would say those are the three places to go where you most likely would find um, congregation records and other materials like that. And and you mentioned the newspaper project. Is that another online accessible? Yes. So Ohio memory is accessible to anyone who has the internet Mm -hmm. connection. There are two paid resources, but come, they come with free trials that I've used newspaper.com newspapers.com rather, which is, ancestry.com affiliated and then newspaperarchives.com and they have many different ohio towns okay. 
represented as well. And I would I would be remiss if I didn't say that if you come to the Ohio Genealogical Society Library, you can access all of those resources in our computer lab. <laughs> so I want to make yeah, sure that I want to make sure I mention that. Um, now you say you've written a great deal on this subject. Um, where have you where have you had these things published? So many of them are digitized through the Columbus Jewish Historical Society, okay. but That's I also nice. try to make sure that local historical societies in the different towns have mm -hmm. these as well. Now, many times these places don't have the capacity always sure. to digitize material, but it's there in local archives as well. Um, but I would say most of the online content is through the Columbus Jewish yeah. Historical Society. That's interesting. Um, when you talk about um, one of the things you talked about in your in your in your piece that you sent me was kind of the demographic de demographic outlook for these communities, mm -hmm. right? And I'd like I wonder if you could just kind of elaborate on what you mean by that. Yeah, it's a reality that across most of Ohio's small towns, Jewish communities have been declining for a few decades, and this isn't unique to just Ohio. It's across the Midwest, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania and much of the American South. And it, again, just reflects these larger trends where many people are moving away from small towns. Sure. And particularly since 2010, we've seen several synagogues close. Zanesville's mm -hmm. congregation closed, um, I believe it was in 2017. Wow. Steubenville's congregation had closed in 2013 along with Newark, Ohio. So it's really, it's accelerating, I would say that congregations are becoming too small to maintain. But it also should be noted that there are still several small towns where the Jewish community is either able to just maintain itself at its current level or growing slightly. So Pickwell, Ohio has had a Jewish community since 1858. Portsmouth, Ohio has had wow. a Jewish community since 1858. And they're still via, they're still going with their members and, and, and keeping their institutions maintained. And places like Athens, Ohio, Ohio, Yellow Springs, Worcester have Jewish communities as well. And something that's common to those places is a college or university. And I okay. think the presence of a college or university often can act as a um, stabilizing factor for Jewish communities, but also right. dem demographics in general. Some of those towns aren't shrinking the same ways that we see um, hmm. neighboring towns that don't have a campus in them. I was going to ask you, you, you mentioned a couple that started in the 1850s. Um, what are, what's the, what's the most, what's the, what community has the oldest Jewish community in it that's still, that has never left? Is that, would yeah. that be Cleveland or would that be somewhere smaller? Cincinnati's home to Ohio's oldest okay. organized Jewish community. There's a congregation in Cincinnati that I believe has been going since 1824. Mm -hmm. The oldest community I've written about in the small towns, Chillicothe had a Jewish presence by 1830, which is still really wow. early for okay. Ohio's um, yeah. Jewish history. Their organized life disbanded, however, in the 1940s. Hmm. So I would say okay. the oldest small town communities that I'm aware of are Piqua and Portsmouth, both of wow. them 
have had congregations continuously since 1858. That, that, that's amazing. That's a testament to their communities, I think, that, they, that they've lasted that long there. Um, when I, you know, you're obviously very accomplished this practice of, of researching Jewish history in Ohio, but if you were, if you were starting your, your journey in researching your Jewish ancestry in Ohio, what advice would you give to someone who's just getting started in that process? I would share something that was taught to me early on by Toby Brief, who works with the Columbus Jewish Historical Society, is using an Excel or Google sheet to mm -hmm. keep track of names. A lot of the names can quickly get confusing and trying to stay on top of which family is which, particularly if there's similar spellings and right. having something like an Excel sheet to just, I right. usually have a column that's just last names, a column for first names, and then birth date, death date, and any biographical notes. Mm. And um, you can even create your own color scheme to <laughs> keep track of right. different decades and, and having just something to scan down like that is really yeah. helpful. Is, is there a, a, I mean, you've, you've mentioned Columbus and Cincinnati both, but is there a, a specific uh, resource that you would tell that person to try out first to really look at first? I would say if they're particularly interested in finding Jewish ancestors or family members, mm -hmm. try the newspapers because I think people okay. will be surprised. Um, many folks I don't think would think to look, say, at the Cleveland Jewish News archives, right. but okay. a lot there, even far away from Cleveland. Yeah. Well, uh, Austin, thank you so much for for joining me this, today for just this brief little conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to note that uh, Austin will be doing a webinar for the OGS uh, later this summer uh, in the early fall. Uh, and we'll make sure we get the date to everybody when it's on the schedule. Uh, Austin, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. And, and I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the work that you do. Thank you, Noel. I appreciate it. That was a really interesting conversation with Austin. I, I know I certainly learned a lot. I, I hope you did as well. Uh, Austin will be presenting a webinar for the Ohio Genealogical Society in September of 2023. And we're really looking forward to seeing what he has to offer us there as well. Um, it's just wonderful to explore these underrepresented groups in Ohio and how we can do a better job of making sure their records are available and accessible to researchers who are trying to discover their family roots and particularly family roots of underrepresented groups like the Jewish community here in Ohio. So thank you to Austin for taking part in the Ohio Roots podcast today. And we'll talk to you next time. The Ohio Roots Podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Genealogical Society, the premier gateway for discovering your Ohio family history. Hosted by OGS Executive Director Noel Poyer and edited by Luke Poyer. Theme song is Beautiful Ohio, recorded by Bob Stanley and his orchestra in 1944. To learn more about joining the Ohio Genealogical Society, visit www.ogs.org.